shalom, shalom. That's one of my favorite greetings. It means peace, peace unto you. Before I begin this presentation of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'd like to uh, begin by prayer. And there's three parts of Scripture that I would like to um, kind of delve into. And that first one is from the Gospel of John, where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And truly, that is true. I believe that I can do nothing apart from him. And so I'd ask you all for your prayers as we bow our heads together. Our Father and our King, Lord, I'm reminded of your word where it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you are both faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in the book of Proverbs, I'm reminded of the words that say, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my tongue be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, have you not believed in vain? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. For, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect, no, 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 I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this, this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And consequently then, so is your faith. <laughs> More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised either. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, (laughs) it's futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Messiah are lost. Listen. Listen. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we among all people are most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Messiah. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection of the dead, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us apostles, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. (laughs) Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts at Ephesus with no more than human hopes, as it were, tell me, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat the most succulent of steaks and let us drink the finest of wines, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this, to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? (laughs) How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, no, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Now, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. 
But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Take the sun, for instance. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor, yes. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then it follows there is also a spiritual body. Just as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. You see, the spiritual did not come first, no, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, natural. The second man is of heaven, spiritual. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does that which is perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. Listen close. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and likewise the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Even so, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin, consequently, is the law. But, thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let us pray. Our God, our Father, and our King, I just pray that these words of the Apostle Paul would 
both richly bless and deeply convict those of us in here as we read through and pour through 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection, knowing that everything rests upon the resurrection of your son. Because if that tomb is not empty, then all of this, this service, the worship, everything is pointless and useless. For these are not my words, Lord, but these are your words. I'm reminded of one of my favorite songs. And it says this, in the chaos and the struggle one has overcome, rising up in victory, love has won. Amen. Shalom. Amen. Thanks, brother. Much appreciated. You did some work on that, didn't you, Jesse? Just a little <laughs> just bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> hey, um, I'm going to preach a short message, though that was plenty of message, wasn't it? We could just say amen right now and goodbye. Should we do that? <laughs> Such a good word. Thank you for um, sharing that with the congregation. T- tell me this, in memorizing those 58 verses from 1 Corinthians 15, What's something that God impressed upon you along the way? How did you experience God perhaps changing your heart or your mind in mm-hmm. some small way as you memorize those, those verses? Uh, that's a very good question, Pastor Adrian. And I, I would say this. When I was memorizing that scripture, at first it was about getting the word inside of me. Uh, I didn't necessarily understand exactly what I was reading, much like if we've read the book of Leviticus Many times you have to read it a third time before you actually starts to saturate you. And that's what I did. I just wanted to get the word into me first and foremost. And then as I began to memorize it, both forwards, backwards, and upside down, <laughs> um, I noticed that other verses in the scripture stood out. Like when he talks about star differing from star in splendor, Psalm 19 came to mind. Or when he talks about at the last trumpet, the dead being raised imperishable. I thought about 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 where Paul talks about the rapture of the church and being caught up with him in the clouds and to encourage one another in Christ with these words. So for me, um, it's just every single time and I would, mem- I would recite it to myself at least once a week, whether I was in the shower, whether I was running on, on, the, on the bike trail um, and it just every single time there would be new things that I believe the Holy Spirit would show to me and is still showing to me yeah. And I believe that, um, God willing, I'll have that chapter memorized for the rest of my life and that it will always, no matter where I'm at, open up new things to me in the Scripture because, as we know, Scripture interprets Scripture. Um, One last thing I would like to share with you. The inspiration for that is a man by the name of Ryan Ferguson. And if you guys go to YouTube and look up Ryan Ferguson, uh, he has memorized, several years ago, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And when I was studying at Grace University, in 2010, that's where I first saw that video, and it gave me the inspiration to memorize the scripture that you guys just heard. What, what's your day job? Uh, I work for FedEx. <laughs> Not ground, Federal Express, by the way, so yeah. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Shalom. Thanks. Okay, the word of God is living and active, right? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And uh, we have plenty of time for all kinds of stuff.
somebody. We've got plenty of time for all kinds of stuff. And so what we just saw there was an example of redeeming the time in a powerful way which will forever change you. And that's what the scriptures do. Um, Jesse's a sharp man. He's, he's not brilliant. He's, he's like us. He's, he works for FedEx. Okay? He, he's a regular guy like us. And, um, and, and he will be formed by the memorization of that word. I feel convicted. Well, that was uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, I just have a short moment to preach here, but I am going to preach. Um, what you heard there is the entirety of the passage. We addressed it to some degree last week as we talked about resurrection in the past, looking at Jesus' resurrection and the very good reasons we have to believe that Jesus was resurrected in time and space. Today we're going to look a little bit about the power of the resurrection for us today, what difference it makes in our lives today, and how God is changing us even today, and then the promise that we just heard about our future resurrection as well. What happens after death? And then what happens well, with the future resurrection, though, this promise to us? Here's what we noted last week. We said that without the resurrection, if it did not happen, then Jesus is dead. And what we're doing here is basically a waste of time. If the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus is dead. We have no hope, as Paul says. And we remain in our sins. And church is basically useless. It's pointless. That's the first 20, 25 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. But with the resurrection, Paul says as well in those same passages, Jesus is the living Lord, and we have hope in both life and death, and the church is what Jesus said the church is, the light of the world. Okay, that's what we are. We're made to be the light of the world. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, that is exactly what we are. We have good reasons to have faith, and we have great reasons to have hope, whatever we might be going through today. So again, here though this morning, just for a moment, let's talk about the, the power of the resurrection for us today. Okay, it's the same resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, as the Holy Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, so also the Holy Spirit now dwells in us and is in the process of changing us from the inside out. Romans 8 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who now lives in you. We all have mortal bodies, but his spirit, if we've trusted in Christ, now dwells in us, and the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ bodily from the grave, because he dwells in us, he's able to begin changing us from the inside out. Okay, so the power of the resurrection, the effects of Jesus' resurrection, start for us today. Jesus' resurrection power will transform you starting today. This is part of the, the promise of the scriptures that the goal of the Christian life is not just to be saved. The goal of the Christian life is not to say a prayer and therefore get into heaven someday. No, the goal of the Christian life is to become more and more like Christ. Yeah. 
And that happens as we enjoy union with God through the Spirit who dwells in us and we get to experience Christ more and more and the warmth of being adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ and the warmth that comes from the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that enables us to become that which we could not do on our own. Okay, that's the goal. It's to become disciples who then make other disciples and that happens as we lean into the Holy Spirit and grow in communion with God every day. I have a dear friend who um, I've stayed in touch with across many years, and a number of years ago, he got married. And he was on his honeymoon, and on day two or three of his honeymoon, uh, his wife uh, noticed that he repeatedly, as they were walking on the beach on their honeymoon, she noticed that he would repeatedly turn his head and take a second look at the ladies walking in bikinis. And she said to him, why is it that when women pass by you on the beach, you look at them once, and then you look at them a second time as if I cannot see? Busted. <laughs> and he said, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm sorry. And, and, and she said, like, why do you do that? What's up with that? Here we are on our honeymoon, and you're insulting me. And he said, well, I don't know what to tell you except that's what the guys at the construction site do and, and I've kind of developed that habit as well and I, I, I'm sorry. And she said, but you're a Christian. For goodness sake, you're a Christian. And he just had to say to her, you're right and I'm sorry and I must admit, I guess, like the character of Christ is not yet formed in me in that area. He was a Christian, but he hadn't yet merged with Christ in such a way to have the power of the Holy Spirit in him to change him in that area. So my question is, what do you do when you find that in you? As you do, as I do, in all different areas of life, maybe it's not that one specifically, but in one way or another, in hundreds of different ways, there's no temptation that's come to you that's not common to other people in this room. 1 Corinthians 10 says, so when that temptation comes to you, whatever it might be, what do you do? Here's what we talked about several weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 10. We talked about these ABCDs of fighting common temptations. Let me just review them for you. The first thing we do is we admit the temptation. We're honest to God and we're honest to self. Humans have a great ability to rationalize the other behavior. So the start is admitting. Stop deceiving oneself. Admit where you have a struggle. Admit it to God. Admit it to yourself. The next thing, though, that we do is because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and because by faith in Jesus we have the Holy Spirit in us, we bring in the Holy Spirit's help. Okay, we bring in the Holy Spirit's help, like right in the middle of the temptation. When I disciple men, this is what I tell them all the time, you're in the middle of a temptation, bring in the Holy Spirit. Feel it and admit, I need help, and say, Holy Spirit, would you please come help? Lord Jesus, would you please come help right now? Yes, in this moment, I'm doing something I shouldn't do. I, I arrest myself and I ask for your help, Holy Spirit. Okay, like we have about as much chance to win our battles against temptation by ourselves without the Holy Spirit as a baseball team has a chance to win a 
baseball game without its pitcher. It just ain't gonna happen. And so we have to bring in the Holy Spirit. Three, the next one, the C is confide in a friend or two. You gotta have a couple friends who you can be real with and share with them, hey, would you pray for me? I'm struggling in this area. And you do that for each other. And then the D is don't quit. Okay, when you're tempted, don't quit. When you fail, don't quit. Get back up, ask the Holy Spirit's help, and go after it again. Now, here's the postscript of that story. I still know that man, and I happen to know he has an amazing marriage across 40 years, and I happen to know him well enough. He's one of my dearest friends in the world. I happen to know him well enough to tell you that he doesn't take the second look anymore, like at all. Because he honors other women, and he honors his wife, and he's guarded his eyes and his mind in such a way, surrendering to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, that his character has been formed, and he's become something different today than he was back then. And this is what's offered to us through the power of the resurrection via the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us. But friends, we gotta have a vision that we can change. You gotta have a vision of what your life could be like if you're leaning in to God, if you're abiding in Christ more and more, then you have to have the intention to change, and then you have to have the decision to call on the Holy Spirit daily, as this man did, and then slowly but surely, oftentimes over the course of many years, we will be changed. Be patient. It happens slowly across all of life, but resurrection power is in you, and its power affects you starting today. Now, I I happen to believe that we can substantially change this side of heaven. Substantially. But I also believe that that transformation won't be complete till the other side of heaven. Okay? We're in like the already of the kingdom of God, but still the not yet of the kingdom of God. And so... Uh, Next thing on your outline goes like this. Jesus' resurrection power will complete your transformation someday. While our transformation might start today because of the Holy Spirit in us, his resurrection power will complete us someday. I don't think this will happen, though, this side of heaven, but someday it will be complete. And that's what we just heard from Jesse. Let's look at verses 42 through 44, again here of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead, Here's our ultimate hope. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. I've underlined, and I would encourage you to underline in your Bibles, all these different ways that we will be changed on the other side when Christ returns in glory. will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. Our bodies will be raised a spiritual body. The physical resurrection of Christ that we talked about last week is like the first fruit of our own future resurrection in Christ. And so what the Bible teaches again and again is, as Christ was raised far from the grave, so also we will similarly rise far from the grave ourselves when he comes back in glory. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what happens on the other side of death, but really the New Testament is quite clear 
The New Testament is quite clear about several different things that we can know and count on related to what happens to us if we've truly surrendered ourselves to Christ on the other side of death. Here they are. This is what you can expect. The first one is this, spiritual life after death. That immediately after we die, what happens is we go into the presence of the Lord. Our body stays here, but our spirit goes into the presence of the Lord, and we enjoy communion with God there. A few chapters later, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, again to the Corinthian church. He says, we are always confident, and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and therefore to be at home with the Lord. This is the first promise. That when you die in Christ, your body stays here and your soul goes to be at home with the Lord. Say this with me. Away from the body, at home with the Lord. Join me. Away from the body, at home with the Lord. So our body stays here, but our spirit, our soul, goes to be with God immediately. And what is described in the scriptures is not like a soul sleep. It's not purgatory. It's not reincarnation, that we come back in some other form. It's not even that we immediately go to heaven and then we get new bodies with new legs and new hips and All of that, that's oftentimes said, but that's not what the Bible says. It's that we immediately go into the presence of God, we're absent from the body, we're present well with the Lord, and there in the presence of God, we're enjoying all the benefits of heaven even without a body. We can't quite imagine it, but this is the way the scriptures describe it. We'll have joyful worship and life without evil, life without sin and pure goodness and intimacy with God and sinless communion with other people on a soul level. But part of the mystery of resurrection is this, hear me clearly, it gets even better. It gets even better. So it begins with spiritual life after death, but then in the future beyond that is the promise of resurrected physical life after death. And that's mostly what Paul is talking about here in the second part of chapter 15. Look at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood, as we are right now, in this state, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will immediately be changed. Now this is a description of the second coming of Christ. That Jesus Christ will return and he will grab all of those who are his. It's called the rapture. He returns to, to earth and he grabs those who are living at the time and who have embraced Jesus Christ as their savior and their king, their leader, 
their president, if you will, whatever you want to call it, embraced him as Lord, and all of those who are in the grave, likewise, who embrace Christ as Lord, will likewise be raised at that time. Now, I don't really care to speculate when this will happen. I know there's a lot of people that like to speculate when this will happen. I don't really care to speculate that much how this will happen either. Uh, It seems to me Jesus has indicated pretty clearly that there's a planning committee for this great event called the Second Coming. And that planning committee consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and no one else. Okay? So he's the planning committee. We are the, the welcoming committee. Okay, our job is to rejoice and give thanks, well, whenever you choose to come, but we have no part in the planning, amen? Okay, so what that means is we can get on with the business of being Christians. And the business of being Christians, where the Jesus returns today, which is possible, that's possible, and you should be ready, whether he returns today or tomorrow or next year or a thousand years from now, I am not on the planning committee. But what I am is a disciple of Jesus who is told to be ready whenever he comes. And so that means that I must live out the great commandment with all I got, love God with all I got, and love others with all I got. Love friends and family, and neighbors, and people who may think of me as an enemy, people who like me, people who don't like me. Either way, I don't treat anyone as an enemy, but if they think of me as an enemy, I love them the same. That's our responsibility. Don't think of people as enemies, by the way. Okay, if you think of people as enemies, you won't naturally love them. You think of people as fellow heirs, Men and women who are made in the image and likeness of God who Jesus wants for all eternity. So how can you love them right where they are? And then out of that, you get to be the purveyor of hope because we have the good news of the gospel with us all the time. I hope you memorize the gospel. I hope you know your personal story. Rooted will help with that as well. But we get to distribute the good news of Jesus' gospel to people all the time as we obey him well with the great commission. Either way, again, my point is, whether Jesus comes back today or in a thousand years, either way, our marching orders are the same. It's really simple. It's the great commandment and the great commission. Now, here's how I think it'll happen. Jesus Christ will return. Well, with that trumpet, all of those who have died will be renewed in an instant. Those who are living in that time will likewise be renewed. Our bodies, which were sown Perishable will be raised imperishable, sown in weakness, raised with power. And those who have chosen not to embrace Christ will have no part in that. Okay, Jesus wants the entire world. He desires every person. I believe he'll give an opportunity to every person. I really believe that. But he will not force his way on any person because a gentleman does not do that. In his grace, he offers, and he offers, and he offers again and again. But when he returns in glory, he'll come in his holiness. I've been asked on occasion, how how does the resurrection work for those who are cremated? That's a good question. But like, if God could create you in the first place, could he not recreate you? Okay. And guess what? 
if you're in the grave for a long time, you're decaying. You're going to get recreated too, <laughs> okay? And those soldiers who died in war and their bodies are mangled and never found again, they'll be recreated too, okay? We have a great God who's able to do all of that. If God can do the very first miracle of speaking and then the universe leaps into existence, if he can create human beings in his image and likeness, that's the greatest miracle. If he can do that, then he can also resurrect us, okay? And so we can anticipate that. The body that is sown in weakness will be raised up in power. And I know some people say, like, Adrian, you really believe this? Come on. I mean, you're really stretching the imagination. You want me to believe not only that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, but also that we will be resurrected from the grave? Yes, I do. Because that's what the Bible says. Okay, and I don't think it defies logic, actually. As that scripture said, like, kernels, um, seeds go into the ground, they die, right? They go into the ground, they die, and then they are resurrected, as it were. That's Paul's analogy. I was thinking about that yesterday as I was eating a delicious apple on my deck. And you can't really see this, but this is an apple seed. And what's so amazing to me is that we could plant this apple seed in the right conditions at the right time in the right soil, and then perhaps it would be reborn. It would be resurrected into something more like that. Like, isn't that amazing? Like, if God can do that with this little seed that you can't even see, could he also transform us? Or how about a caterpillar? I was enjoying nature yesterday. I also saw a caterpillar. This fuzzy little caterpillar, so ugly. Not as pretty as that one up there. And uh, I started thinking about that. So you got this caterpillar, right? And what happens to it? It goes into something called a chrysalis. And a chrysalis, by the way, is the same root word as crucifixion. Out of crucifixion comes our transformation. Okay, that's another topic perhaps. But it goes into this chrysalis. And in that chrysalis, it starts to morph. It starts to change. And actually, if you were to cut into that at the midpoint of its regeneration, you wouldn't find something that's like half a caterpillar and half a butterfly. What you would find is a bunch of goo. Anyone feel like goo today? Okay, like some of us are kind of in the goo stage right now. <laughs> you, you just find some goo, but you'd find within that goo still the same DNA as the caterpillar. And so out of that caterpillar goo would eventually come this most glorious monarch butterfly. And we think that it's not possible for God in heaven to transform our bodies in some glorious way as well. Oh, it is possible. When Christ returns, we will receive spiritual bodies. And since Jesus' resurrection foreshadows our own resurrection, we can look at Jesus' resurrection appearances and say, maybe there's something of that that we can anticipate in our future. He ate delicious food. And he enjoyed his dear friends. And they saw some similarities with his previous body. Remember, he still had those nail marks in his hands and the spear mark in his side. And so there's like these similarities, but also these dissimilarities as well. And so I think we'll probably be able to recognize people that we knew and loved here on earth. And uh, the Bible tells us that in heaven, with our new resurrected bodies, we'll have meaningful work to do as well. If you question that, look at Luke 19, 
which says to us that based on our service here on earth, we'll be rewarded with better and more meaningful service in heaven? Okay, it won't be boring. We'll have meaningful work without the thorns and thistles. Great purpose. It'll be way better than seeing on clouds playing a harp. Like, how boring is that? It won't be that. It'll be glorious. It'll be glorious. And it gets better as we experience Jesus more fully. N.T. Wright, this great theologian out of England, puts it this way. This is life after life after death. Okay, so first we get life after death. That's the spiritual presence of God. And then later on, when Christ returns in glory, we get life after life after death. This is significant because Greek thought of the day in Corinth, Greece, was oftentimes that the body was bad. And so the best thing would be to be separated from the body. And so the Greeks thought, okay, not only is the body bad, but also all physical matter is bad, the world is bad, all of that. And so Paul is answering them, well, when he says, if the dead are not raised, let's just eat whatever we want and drink whatever we want, and then we die, who cares? Okay, he's answering them. And he's saying from a Christian or from a Jewish perspective, I might add, the body is good. Our bodies are very good. So much so that they'll be redeemed. And so we don't just eat and drink because then we'll die. Nor do we treat the earth that way, I might add. Because the earth is good. Anything that God made. All humans and the earth that God created is good and is to be cared for. And this isn't some political thing. The Bible would, would drive us on that, okay? The earth as well will be redeemed one day well, when Christ comes and he resurrects all things. The earth will be renewed. And likewise to, to the Jews who were anticipating Messiah would come the first time, here in 1 Corinthians 15, what Paul is doing is reminding the Jews within the Corinthian church, no, Messiah has already come. And he's been raised from the grave. And when he returns the second time, that's when we will receive our resurrected bodies. Jews believed in a resurrection that would come at the end of time, and that was part of their great hope. It's just that they were confused in the first century, and many faithful Jews still today believe that the first coming hasn't happened. But as Jesus came the first time, he came to destroy sin and death, and he did so in part. Friends, when he returns the second time, he will destroy sin and death in full. And so we wait with great anticipation for this. Now, here's the way Paul concludes his magnum opus on the resurrection. He basically says this, the promise of future resurrection is meant to encourage our faithfulness today. I was talking with Pastor Jordan about this last week, and we both kind of remarked how interesting it is that as Paul concludes his remarks on the resurrection, he encourages faithfulness for all that we do today. Listen to exactly what he says, verse 58. He says, therefore, because the resurrection is true, because Jesus has been raised and you will be raised, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. 
this was so fascinating to, to me and Jordan as well. We were talking about this. Like, if we were finishing up our discussion of the resurrection, we kind of agreed that we would focus on the fact that, that the resurrection means there will be no more death, no more dying, no more pain, no more cancer, none of that stuff. That's where I'd focus my energy. And Jordan said, yeah, and like we, we would think about how we'll see our lost loved ones who have died and they've gone to heaven. We'll be reunited well with them. That's probably where I'd focus at the end of my discussion about resurrection. And I'd, yeah, I'd focus there too, Jordan. But Paul focuses uh, somewhere else. As he wraps up his magnum opus on the resurrection, he says, because this is all true, stand firm. Maintain your faith today. Be strengthened in your faith today. And he says, your labor is not in vain. Because the resurrection is true, what you do today will be rewarded in eternity. And he's not calling on his church there to all become missionaries or pastors. He's calling on his church there to be faithful mothers and faithful husbands and faithful truck drivers and faithful farmers and good students and good teachers and faithful convenience store workers or whatever it is that God has called you to right now, the promise is that matters because it's done unto God and your labor is not in vain. What you do today counts for eternity because the resurrection is true. Do you believe that? Listen to these words from Martin Luther and then I'll pray. He says this in his beautiful poem, Christ Jesus lay in death's strong bonds. He says, it was a strange and dreadful strive when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. Stripped of power, no more it reigns. An empty tomb alone remains. Death's sting is lost forever. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that death's sting is lost forever. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we want to live like our hope is full. Our faith is not futile. We do not remain in our sins. Our hope can be full today. Lord, would you help us to live like the resurrection is true, and therefore, in all of our labors this week, we would do so for the glory of God. Because you rose from the grave, Lord Jesus, and because the Holy Spirit now lives in us in the same power that raised Christ from the from the dead, dwells in you and me. We can anticipate that our suffering does not have the final word. Any sense of hopelessness we have today does not have the final word. Our aches and our pains, our illness, our frustrations do not have the final word. You live forevermore and you say that we will too. And we believe that by faith because of the work that Jesus did. Thank you, God. 
that the tomb is empty. May we live as such this week. In Jesus' name.